Good morning, everybody doing okay? Good? Good. A little bit of congestion, so if I sound a little weird today, uh, sorry about that. It's, uh, I have some Ludens up here, which I have determined is not a cough drop at all. It's just cherry-flavored candy. If you remember uh, Ludens when you were a kid, um, they do absolutely nothing. They just taste really good, so have some of those. Anyways, if you've never been with us, um, we've been working through a book of the Bible. This is all we do. We go through whole books of the Bible, word by word, and... Um, been working through one called 1 Corinthians, which, which I hope you've enjoyed if you've been here. A very, very relevant book of the Bible. The reason why it's extremely relevant right now is because we seem to be repeating the exact same mistakes of this small church in southern Greece uh, from 2,000 years ago. And the mistake is this, is that even though right now in the United States is, is Christians, and if you're not a Christian in here, I'm actually really happy you're here this morning. It's a great lesson for a non-believer. But um, we have access to everything we need to follow Jesus the way that we should. We have access to the word, we have access to church, we have freedom, we have prosperity, all, all the things we need. Um, but just like this church did 2000 years ago, we have turned from the truth of the word and we have started to rely more on the teachings of our culture, right? And because of that, um, we've gotten ourselves into quite a mess, just like this church did a couple thousand years ago and why this, this book of the Bible was written, this letter was written. Now. Here's where we've been. <clears throat> For the last month or so, in chapters 12, 13, and 14, if you haven't been here, and we're getting towards the end of this letter, this book of the Bible, uh, what Paul has been talking about is he's been talking about the mechanics of church. What I mean is when Christians get together, uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14 basically tell us how we are to function within a worship setting, uh, that we are to be spiritual, right? That we're not to deny spiritual things, but we're to do things balanced and with order and with intellect. So this, this basically this balance of, of intellectual worship and also deeply spiritual worship, head and heart kind of a thing, right? That's what he's been talking about, how we do church. Chapter 15 that we're gonna do today, and we're only gonna do half of it because it's very, very long. He's gonna move from how we do things to maybe a more important question as to why we do things. Why do we believe what we believe? What do we believe, right? Why are we following Christ? Why do we gather together? What is, what is the bedrock of what we believe is Christians? And the bedrock of what we believe is Christians, and if you're not a believer, again, you're gonna learn kind of, kind of Christian theology 101 this morning, that the fundamental bedrock ideology and thought of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection, our faith is basically completely worthless. Paul's gonna say this today, right? This Bible is worthless. What I'm doing right now is worthless. Your life is worthless. Everything is worthless if there was no resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're gonna to get to a very positive place by the, by the end of this lesson. Um, about 80% through, you're gonna say, no, there's nothing positive about this. I promise it'll, it'll come towards the end. And this is what we're gonna circle back around to is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was really about the resurrection of you and I. It was a foreshadowing of the fact that you and I are to be resurrected. So we're gonna to talk today about the resurrection, okay? And there's some, listen, there's some tough stuff in here. If you've never been to church here before, um, I'm really over kind of like the, the, the very surface level church. It doesn't work, it hasn't worked for a long time. So we're just gonna have really honest conversation here today and we'll cover some stuff that may be a little like, ooh, gosh, that's uncomfortable. It, it's okay, right? Let's just be vulnerable today. Let's be honest today. 
And if you feel a little convicted over something, that's not a bad thing, right? Um, it helps direct us in the path that we're supposed to go, okay? So uh, you should have got a notes handout when you came in. Everything I'm gonna say will be in there. Uh, you're probably already skimming through. Where's the positive stuff? Um, everything will be on the screens. Everything we will be reading is from the, the Christian Standard Bible. It doesn't matter what translation you have. But if you have a copy of the scripture, we're right after the book of Romans, we're in Corinthians chapter 15. And then if you have the app, everything is on there. Okay, all right, good. Hopefully I'm not gonna spit on anyone in the front row. No mucus or snot or anything like that. So I'm just a little congested. And um, I can't hear anything. So if you jeer or say anything mean, it's literally gonna fall on deaf ears today. So, uh, so not that you would do that. So let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. God, thank you for everyone that's in here this morning, Lord. I know that it's a holiday weekend. Father, there's a lot of people traveling. There's a lot of people out. I pray that you keep them safe. Lord, for everyone that is in the room this morning, God, you have us all in here for a reason. There is something we're supposed to hear today, God, from your word. And I pray, Lord, that we just have ears to hear it. I pray that we have eyes to see it. Um, Lord, we, we, we not only pray for our church, we pray for every church in our city this morning. Pray for our other campuses and the churches in those cities, Lord. We pray for Becky and Topher, God, our ministers out in um, Southeast Asia and the amazing work they do. And we just pray, God, that everything we do today, that it not only honors you, but Lord, that it blesses us and strengthens us. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody ready? Everyone's awake? Everyone's good? All right. Okay, cool. All right, I'm gonna read a little bit. We'll go back and break it down, okay? <clears throat> Paul says, now I wanna make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand and by which you are saved, if you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the 12. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of them still alive, but some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. Okay, like I said earlier, <clears throat> For a couple of chapters, Paul has been talking about what we do as Christians when we come to church. Here is the reason why Paul is going to end this letter on some theology, right? That's our thoughts on God, our beliefs on God. All the strategy in the world, all the strategy in your own life, all the strategy of, of churches, all the strategy in the world cannot compensate for bad theology. I want you to let that soak in for a second. All of your planning cannot compensate for your ignorance of God. We have to have a relationship with God. Simply put, 
The fundamental theology, the fundamental belief of the Christian is that Jesus Christ is God, that he was crucified for our sin and that he resurrected on the third day. This is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. Now, the belief in that, what I just said, in Paul's day could have gotten you hurt. It did get a lot of people hurt. Virtually everyone he mentions in this chapter were eventually killed for their faith, including Paul himself. But even in our day and age where you're not gonna be physically hurt, at least not yet for believing in Jesus Christ, if we have an understanding of who God is, but we deny that, there will come a death because of it. It's called the second death or a spiritual death, things we don't like to talk about, but they're in the Bible. This is eternal damnation, eternal separation from Jesus Christ if we fail to give our lives to him. So what Paul is saying is there is one way to be saved, and that is to hold on to the message of the Bible. That is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and to hold on to this message. And Paul says, if we believe there is any other way to be saved, you are believing that in vain. It's just not true. There is one pathway to a good eternity, and that is through Jesus Christ. And Paul makes that very, very clear. But here's what we do in our culture, right? Here's what we do in American culture. We treat the idea of spirituality or God as kind of like a buffet, right? We walk up and we're like, even in Christianity, we do this. A lot of Christians do this. We really like this part about Jesus that he loves the poor and hangs out with prostitutes and like is really nice to people. We love that part. We really don't like the side of the Bible or of Jesus that calls us to live at a certain standard. We don't like that. You know what we do in, in the United States with Christianity? We love talking about grace. We never talk about holy living. We leave that stuff back because it's hard, right? Because it challenges us, because it takes us out of our comfort zone and sometimes calls us wrong. And so we discard these certain parts. But here is the problem with God. God does not run how he does things by his creation. Everyone's good this morning, right? You guys are so quiet, right? But God does not run. In fact, the Bible says in other places, Paul writes that it's very absurd for us to ask God to run his ideas by us. How does the creation say to the creator, why did you do it this way? That's absurd. He's the creator. We're the creation. So listen, as a Christian, or even if you're not a Christian here, this is essential to the Christian faith. We don't only understand what Jesus did, we must understand who Jesus is. Whenever I hear Christians say, well, I don't think Jesus would do that. Listen, you better show it to me right here because I don't really care about your opinions or your manufactured version of Jesus. I wanna know who the biblical Jesus is. So God does it his way, right? And, and without a correct belief in the identity of Jesus Christ, we're incapable of salvation, we're incapable of change because we don't understand the identity of Jesus. And so part of the identity of Jesus is not just that he was like a swell guy that hung out with people on the fringe. He was the savior, right? He is God incarnate. So we have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the letter written to the Corinthians, what we've been studying for months and months and months now, the root of it is the death, burial, and resurrection. Listen, Paul makes the argument that the entire Bible is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, even the Old Testament. I'm so tired of hearing Christians say that it's irrelevant, the Old Testament. Who, what does Jesus quote all the time in the Gospels? What does Paul quote all the time? There was no New Testament at that time. Whenever he says scriptures and referring to the resurrection, he's talking about the Old Testament. 
The entire Old Testament is a flashing arrow pointing towards Jesus. The whole book's about him. It even mentions Jesus in Genesis chapter three at the very beginning of your Bible. So without faith and the miraculous power of the resurrection of Jesus, this whole book falls apart. It's all completely irrelevant because the resurrection is the entire focal point of this entire book. The entire book is a focal point on the resurrection of Christ. And so Peter says, I'm not just making, or I'm sorry, Paul says, I'm not just making this resurrection stuff up. There are witnesses. Peter saw it, right? The other disciples saw it. The, the Marys were the first ones to see. The two women who went to the tomb were the first people to see the resurrected Jesus. 500 men and women saw Jesus resurrected at one time. And Paul says, even I saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, listen, if you're in here this morning, and I'm not making fun of you, if you're a skeptic of that, well, they all just got together and they just wanted to be popular and rich and all this stuff, so they made up this religion. Listen, it wasn't like that like it is nowadays, right? If you started a bunch of churches back then, you didn't get famous and get like Instagram cool. You got killed and persecuted. If you look at how virtually all the people that Paul mentions, how they died, they all died horrible deaths for their faith. Go back and read about the disciples. The only disciple that wasn't violently murdered was John. He was the only one at the foot of the cross. And John was boiled alive and kicked off to, to an island off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. If this was all about like living a more comfortable life by creating a religion, these guys were idiots. So this gives us good evidence that they must have seen something that convinced them that Jesus was resurrected, right? Because even Peter, who is a big coward, denied Jesus three times before Jesus' death and then eventually went and got crucified upside down for Jesus after his death. What must have happened? He must have seen something, right? Some good evidence. And then Paul says, I became an apostle. And he actually says he was the least of the apostles. So if you ever go to a church, and I'm not trying to be a jerk, and, and a modern day person says, I'm an apostle, sometimes churches do this, by definition, they're not an apostle. Um, by definition, biblical definition, an apostle was someone who literally saw Jesus and literally walked with Jesus, right? In person. And so the, the authors of the Bible, the majority of them were considered apostles and they contributed to the word of God. The disciples, of course, were apostles. And Paul says, I was the last of the apostles. And Jesus showed himself to Paul about four to seven years after the resurrection, told Paul to follow him. Paul followed him, became an author of 70% of the New Testament. But Paul said he was the least of the apostles. Why? Because Paul's job before he encountered Jesus, or Jesus encountered him, was Paul went around from town to town killing Christians. And then Paul says something interesting. Um, he, he talks about like how he worked harder than the rest of them because by the grace of God, he was chosen to do amazing work. And so here's the thing. If you ever think you have done too much evil to, to be saved and for God to use you, just think of our buddy Paul. And if you've done more than Paul, you should probably be in jail right now because he murdered people. So Paul did a lot of awful stuff. And because he humbled himself and submitted himself God used Paul to, to do more than, than virtually any other person during this time. And Paul says this, and this is very provocative to me. I, I, I like this. Paul wasn't trying to be an arrogant jerk when he said, I worked harder than all of the other apostles. That's not what he's doing by that. 
What Paul is doing is he is acknowledging the fact that God pulled him out of a very deep ditch. He had done a lot of horrible, horrible things. And this was Paul's fuel for doing as much as he could, as much as he could for the kingdom of God. So a couple of years ago, let me tell you a story. A couple of years ago, I was, I was preaching, I don't know what I was preaching on. And um, I said that I felt obligated to Jesus. So someone sent me an email, right? They didn't wait till Monday. They did it right when they got home. So, you know, that's, that's a cool thing to do. Anyways, wrote me an email and said, um, you should never feel obligated to Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith and you shouldn't feel obligated, right? He enlightened me on this. And I said, respectfully, my friend, if you were pulled out of a deep as a, of a ditch as I was, if you were a drug addict, if you had attempted suicide several times, if you had done the damage that I had done and Jesus miraculously saved you, you'd feel obligated. Here's the thing. We are not saved by good works. You are not saved by your good works. It is inca- you are incapable of saving yourself by your good works, but we are not saved from good works either. If we have been saved by Jesus Christ, it's time to get to work. In fact, the Bible says this, that if we are saved, we are to go out and do good works to glorify our Father in heaven and advance the kingdom of God. We have bought into this lie in Christianity in the United States that we can be saved by grace and nothing changes about how we live. And that is not biblical. That is theological bull crap. And that is, that is not true. Listen. If you've been saved by the grace of God, just read the book of James if you don't believe me. It's what the whole dang thing's about. That we are not saved to live in the same crap that God pulled us out of. That we are to live righteous, holy lives, right? And that we are to do good deeds that expand the kingdom of God. Romans chapter six, that the old self has been crucified and there is now a new way of living. This is all biblical stuff, right? And so Paul says, yeah, I worked my butt off for Jesus because Jesus worked his butt off for me. I'm saved by grace, but because of that, I'm gonna get to work for the kingdom of God, okay? All right, it's as sassy as I'm gonna get, guys. It's as bad as it's gonna get. (laughs) Now, if Christ is proclaimed, is raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we've testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. Listen, this is important. If we have put our faith in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. So this church, Corinth, was in Southern Greece. And there's a lot of uh, Greeks that were living in Southern Greece at this time. And so what was happening (laughs) is Greek culture was starting to come into the church just like there's a lot of Americans that live in America, an American culture has crept its way into the church. In Greek culture, the Greeks did not believe that the body, the physical body, would ever be resurrected. And Paul is saying, well, if there was no resurrection of Jesus, then we're not gonna be resurrected. And if we're not resurrected, that means that 
Jesus was never, <laughs> excuse me, never resurrected. And then Paul says, if there is no resurrection of Jesus and if there is no resurrection of ourselves, this whole thing is pointless. This is meaningless. If the resurrection isn't real, then the whole Bible falls apart because the whole Bible points to the resurrection. If the resurrection isn't real, the authors of the Bible are crazy. They're lunatics or they're just flat out liars. And if following Christ, right, which is completely revolving around the resurrection, if that's not true, following Jesus is a waste of your time. Let me tell you something that doesn't make any sense. C.S. Lewis said this, I'm just ripping him off. That if someone says Jesus was just a really good guy and not a deity, he would either be a pathological liar or crazy, right? So we have one of three options. Jesus was either a pathological liar because he walked around telling everyone he was God. He was crazy because he walked around telling everyone he was God or he was God. It has to be one of the three, right? That's why this bastardized, twisted version of, of American Jesus does not work, right? He either has to be Lord, lunatic, or liar. Also, if the resurrection didn't happen, it means that our evil has not been dealt with. Not only has our evil not been dealt with, there is no mechanism to deal with our evil if there is no resurrection. And if this were true, we might as well, we might as all well be nihilists, right? Nihilism just simply means that there is no meaning to life and we're all gonna self-destruct. If there is no resurrection, there is no meaning, there is no hope, there is no reason to live. So the last thing he says here, let me read it to you one more part. I told you not to forget it, but it's easy, right? If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Listen, if you've said this before, don't feel bad because I've said this too. Oftentimes when we're, you know, when we're discussing you know, with our atheist friend or our agnostic friend, we'll say things like, well, even if there was no heaven and hell, I would still believe in what I believe. That's really easy to say in a nation where we don't have to suffer for our faith. If you live in a place where they are hostile towards Christianity and someone kicks in the door and says, I'm gonna kill your wife and kids unless you renounce your faith. Well, if you don't believe in an afterlife, you'd say, okay, I renounce it. But if we do believe in an afterlife, we know the ramifications of denying Jesus Christ. So it's very easy for us in the United States to say, I would do it regardless. It's because we haven't had to suffer for our faith, which is probably why Christianity in the United States is tanking at the level that it is. Because a true test of our allegiance to Jesus is when following Jesus actually costs us something. That's why Christianity is growing in the Middle East. That's why it's growing in China. That's why it's growing in Russia. That's why it's growing in Southeast Asia. That's why it's growing virtually everywhere in the world except for right here because we are entitled, we are spoiled, it has become too easy, right? And it is absolutely tanking in the United States. There's good stuff coming, guys, we're almost there, we're getting there. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep died. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, as in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. 
For God has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything is put under him, it's obvious that he puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the son himself will also be subject to the one who has subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. Let me explain what that means here. When Paul says that Jesus was the first fruits, he means a couple of things. One, he means that Jesus was the first one to conquer death, but he's not gonna be the last one to conquer death. You will conquer death as well if you follow Jesus Christ. The other thing that he's doing there by saying first fruits is he is using some, some very revelation style language, right? Revelation hadn't been written yet, but he and John were obviously on the same page with Jesus because they wrote something very similar. If you go to Revelation chapter 14, which if you do, you're gonna have to read the first 13 chapters to, to know the context of 14. But there's this imagery of Jesus swinging a sickle like someone would in a vineyard, right? And they're harvesting their fruit. So what this is saying is Jesus was the first one to resurrect, but just like a farmer goes and collects the fruit, right? We're going to resurrect as well. That's what that imagery is there. The other thing he says is this, just like death was introduced into the world by mankind, Adam, Jesus is going to undo death. He's going to bring resurrection. He's going to give eternal life. So when God created Adam and Eve, he didn't intend for them to die. Why did they die? They died because they rebelled against God. They didn't do it God's way. And because of that, death was introduced into humanity. But Jesus undoes death. He's gonna give us eternal life. Now, the simple lesson is this, and I hope you don't miss it because it may be the most profound thing we say today. All this simply means is this. When we do it our way, not God's way, when we do it our way, it always ends in catastrophe. Amen. Always. Look at the world around you. If you don't believe me, pull up a news app and just scroll through for five minutes, right? When we do it our way, it ends up in death, whether that be literal or whether that be spiritual. On the flip side, when we do it Jesus's way, we live forever. And so this is the simple truth, right? Our way, fail. God's way, it works. This is the simple truth that Paul is trying to make. And then Paul goes into some eschatology. If you don't know what that word means, it just means a study of the end times. And if you go to Revelation chapter 20, what Paul is basically saying in these verses is what John says in Revelation chapter 20, that the first one who was resurrected was Jesus. Then people who followed Jesus will be resurrected. Jesus will put the earth in proper order. He will put death into hell for eternity. And then we will all be resurrected, judged by God, and we will all go to our eternity, okay? So he just kind of gives us a rundown. That's what he's saying right there in that part of how the end is going to shake down. So here's something interesting about that though. Everyone will be resurrected, everybody. Everyone that's ever lived will be resurrected. The question is not, will we all be resurrected? The question is, what will we, what will we be resurrected to? Will we be resurrected to an eternal reward? That means eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven and paradise? Or will we be resurrected so God can judge us and we will be sent into an eternity apart from God forever? Now, here's the thing. It is not God's desire. We know this because the Bible says it. It is not God's desire that anyone go to hell. But in our freedom, listen to me, please. 
In our freedom, we make choices in this life and our choices have consequences. And the choices we make determine where we go forever. What we choose to do, if we choose to live in rebellion to God, listen, this is logic. I'm gonna talk logic and reason with, with you. If we choose to live separate from God during this life, all God does is honor our choice to not be with him. So he puts us into an eternity where we are eternally separated from him because that's what we chose. If we live a life that submits to God and follows God and has a relationship with God, he sees that that's what we want. So he rewards us with an eternity with him. This is how simple it is. But our choices matter and our lives have meaning, okay? Last part. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people being baptized for them? Why are we in danger every hour? I face death every day. As surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did that do me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame. Okay, the first thing is this. There's a theological mistake that a lot of people make when they read this. Um, and I'm not trying to make fun of you if you were raised Catholic, Lutheran, or Mormon. These three camps of people believe in baptizing for the dead. Uh, that is not biblically supported. Well, Corey, it's right there in the Bible. The only people that ever did that in biblical history was the church in Corinth. And Paul was saying that that's dumb. You're not supposed to do that. The reason why he used that as an example is he's like, you guys are baptizing for the dead, but you don't even believe in a resurrection. What's the point in that? So the point is, is why would you do these superfluous things if you don't even believe in the resurrection in the first place? The other thing that Paul says is this. Now look at this logic. Paul says we face danger every single hour. Paul is basically saying this. If there is no such thing as a heaven and a hell, if there is no resurrection, right? Why would I live the way that I'm living? Because Paul would go town to town getting beat up getting his teeth knocked out. One time they beat him up so bad they thought he was dead and they threw him off a cliff, right? He eventually got his head chopped off by Caesar Nero. All the followers of Christ virtually died similar deaths to this. Again, it was nothing like planting churches in the United States in 2022, where you get famous and rich and drive a Maserati and live in a big house. That's not been my experience, by the way, but it is for some pastors. But it was not like this. And so Paul is saying, listen, if there is no afterlife, do you think I would choose to live like this all the time? This is crazy. So here's the thing. We not only serve Jesus Christ because he has saved us, we serve Jesus Christ because this life is not everything. Some of you in this room, if this is all the reward we ever got for following Jesus, I feel a little gypped. I'm not saying I'm unhappy but man, this life is brutal. This life is rough. And so Paul is saying, if this is all there is, uh, I don't feel like I've gotten a good deal. 
But Paul understands this isn't all there is. This life is a blip, man. It is very, very short compared to our eternity. And so here, we're gonna talk real for a second. Paul also says, if there are no consequences to life, right? If there is no resurrection, if there is no judgment, if there, if there is no consequence for our actions, we might as well eat and drink and get drunk and party because tomorrow we're gonna die and we're all over with, it's done. The problem is, is that our choices do have consequences. Listen, we live in a culture right now that is very anti-consequence. We don't think there are consequences for anything. And eventually that's gonna catch up to us, right? So like if I go to NYU and take out half a million dollars for a bachelor's degree in 15th century non-Shakespearean French playwriting, and then I have to pay back a half a million bucks, and I'm like, oh, that was your choice, man. Like my kids shouldn't have to pay that crap back. You did that. There are consequences. And quite frankly, you don't deserve a bachelor's degree if you don't understand how a loan works. So those of us who paid off our student loans, that's why you're clapping. Anyways, but listen, this is the society we live in. If you make this choice, there are consequences to said choices. But we've taken it even beyond debt and things like that. We terminate human life. That's the world we live in. We are so anti-consequence that we will kill to avoid consequence. That's what we live in nowadays. And I'm gonna tell you, the choices we make not only have ramifications here and now, they have eternal ramifications. They affect other people and they affect you as well. Paul is saying, if you believe in the resurrection, what you do with your life matters. Your choices matter. I guess if you don't believe in a resurrection, and maybe this is why the United States does the things that it does, is we don't believe anymore. So we might as well eat and drink, party, get drunk, destroy, because there's no ramifications to it, right? Unfortunately, that's not the truth. Another thing Paul says is this. He says that bad company corrupts good morals. Let me blow your mind here for a second. Do you know that Paul didn't actually come up with that phrase? If you have a physical copy of your Bible right now, notice that that's in quotations. Paul is quoting someone else. He's actually quoting a Greek comedian from his time who didn't even believe in God. Sometimes people take shots at me, not every often, but not often, but every once in a while, people take shots at me because I use secular things to prove biblical points. And I do it because Paul did it. Paul said even a non-believing Greek comedian understands that if you hang out with dirtbags, you end up acting like a dirtbag. Paul says even a non-believer gets this principle. Why don't you Christians get it? The bad company corrupts good morals. When we hang out around liars and thieves and bad people, it corrupts us. It contaminates us. It changes us. And so what are we to do? Hang out with decent people, right? Hang out with people that challenge us and sharpen us. That's why the Bible says iron sharpens iron. And then I love what Paul does here. Paul says, you need to wake up and come to your senses. You need to wake up and come to your senses. See, what was happening is the church in Corinth was letting the, the, the thinkers of their time, we don't call them thinkers anymore, we call them influencers because they don't think, they just do things and we mimic them without thinking, right? And what was happening in the church is the influencers of the time were starting to change the theology of the church. Do you not see this? 
that the influencers of this time were changing how they thought about life, about death, about consequence, about eternity. And what does Paul do? I do this, I feel like I rip Paul off all the time with this. All Paul says is, just look at the fruit of the world. Look at the economy of the world. If you want to go into economic debt and ruin, just spend money the way the government spends money, right? If you wanna mess up your family, just treat your wife the way that all those celebrities do it on the movies, right? If you wanna wreck your marriage, just do the things that they're doing out there. Paul is saying, just look at your culture and look at the fruit. And if you truly wanna end up like, they, like what they are, I guess, knock yourself out. But Paul says, maybe you should come to your senses and stop doing what they're doing because you're gonna get the same results. Come to your senses and stop sinning. Stop sinning. I said it earlier, we talk so much about grace in American Christianity and we never talk about righteous, holy living. Stop sinning. We're to look at the fruit and we're to listen and we're to apply the teachings of the Bible versus the repetitively empty philosophies of the world. You know what we do in the United States? It doesn't matter that we are making all the same mistakes that every empire before us has ever made. We're Americans and we'll figure it out this time. It doesn't matter that human history has been doing the same stupid junk for 9,000 years, right? But we're gonna be the ones to fix it. We're so arrogant in the United States, we even think right now that we can challenge things like logic and biology. And you know that this is not a new thing either. Did you guys know this? In fifth century Rome, there are statues of hermaphrodites all over fifth century Rome. You can still find them in Rome today if you ever go of statues that are half male and half female. But we think that we have somehow broke new ground in our culture. There is nothing new under the sun, brothers and sisters but we continually think, well, we're the ones that are gonna get it right. We're the ones who are gonna finally blaze the trail. And Paul says, man, you better come to your senses. Listen, what you believe matters. Not just on the deity of Jesus, not only the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, your theology, your thoughts on God matter. Let me tell you why. Because what you think of God will determine how you act. It will determine how you live. And Paul says, very last thing he says today, some people are ignorant about God. And let me tell you what, in the United States, there is no excuse for ignorance about God. You can go two miles down the road in four different bookstores and get a million translations of this book. So the only ignorance of God in American culture is a willing ignorance, and that's not gonna hold up. Amen. Our lack of understanding of God will determine how we live. It will dictate the decisions we make. And without a belief in eternity, listen to me, without a belief in eternity, listen, and without a belief that God can save and change. I'm so tired of hearing Christians who claim to be saved and seeing them live the exact same way before their salvation. I would argue that salvation has never taken place because Romans chapter six says that when we are saved, the old self is crucified and there is a new way of living. If you don't believe me, look up Romans chapter six, read the whole thing. That we are no longer slaves to our former selves into a life of sin. Doesn't mean we don't make mistakes, but when we do, we go back to Jesus in repentance. If we do not believe that God can deliver and change, if we do not believe this, we will either gravitate towards selfishness, 
which is unbelievably destructive. You're seeing it in your culture today. Or we will gravitate towards meaninglessness. We will either think we are more than we are, or we will, we will think that we are nothing. If we do not believe in the power of God to change, if we do not believe in the resurrection, we will either go to meaninglessness or selfishness, and both are very, very destructive paths. The truth is this though, every single one of us in this room will resurrect one day. All of you will resurrect in bodily form one day, one day. The question is not, will you resurrect? The question is, what will you see when you resurrect? Will you see the pearly gates or will you see the judgment throne of God? We will all resurrect to something. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm talking about heaven and hell in church this morning, but we don't do it enough. And we do not talk about the fact that, our that there are consequences to our actions. And we live in a culture, in a Christian culture of careless pursuit of self, complete careless pursuit of self. And we have to understand that the choices we make have consequences both in this life and in the life to come. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If you are in this room and you claim to be a follower of Christ and there is some kind of sin that you have on the side, right? I'm gonna manage this sin. I'll go to church on the weekends. I'll listen to some Christian music, but I'm gonna keep this manageable sin over here. I'm gonna tell you, you need to come to your senses because that's gonna get you. Jesus is not content with 90% of you. Jesus wants every single corner of you, right? Every, every part of you. And we're gonna make mistakes, but that's why we go back to Christ and we depend on that grace and we ask for his forgiveness. We are not meant to manage sin in our lives. We are meant to be holy. The Bible says to be holy as he is holy. But we have bought into this Christian, really bad theological lie that we're still just dirty sinners all the time post-salvation, and that is not biblical. It is not biblical. We have to come to our senses. If you are living in any kind of rebellion to God, you don't have forever. You don't have forever to fix this. You've got to give these things over to the Lord. You've got to wake up. You've got to come to your senses. I told you something positive was coming. Here it is, finally on the last slide. Yeah. yeah thank you, God. It's Memorial Day weekend. Just want to hear something good before I go home. The good news is this, you can change. The good news is, is you can be set free. The good news is, is you can be saved. The good news is, is there, there, there is joy. There is contentment. There is freedom. There is salvation. Listen, Jesus's resurrection had nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus's resurrection had everything to do with you. Jesus did not need to be resurrected. There was nothing wrong with Jesus. In fact, Jesus doesn't need us at all. God does not need us. God has perfect community without humanity. Father, Son, Spirit, they have perfect community within themselves. We need Jesus. So his resurrection was not for him. His resurrection was a foreshadowing of our resurrection. And listen, I'm not just talking about in the future. I'm talking about the resurrection of yourself now. Back to Romans 6, the old addicted 
sinful, awful, terrible person can be put to death and a new you can rise, that you're no longer bound to your former selves. I am quoting the Bible right there. That you don't have to live in debilitating fear or anxiety or, or, or regret. That you don't have to be addicted. You don't have to be ashamed. That you can be free of these things. But let me tell you, it is not easy. It's free. A relationship with Christ is free, but it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And if you ever step into a church that tells you being a Christian is easy, reach back and make sure that your wallet's still there. It's not easy. It cost Paul his head. Peter was crucified upside down. Bartholomew was hacked to death by a machete. Stephen was, was stoned in the street, the first one that ever died for Jesus' name. But as, as Stephen was being stoned, being hit by rocks in the head, it says that he looked up and he saw the heavens open up. It's not easy, but it's good. It's good. It'll save your marriage. It'll save your children. Seriously. It, it'll, it'll save your families. It'll change how you view yourself. It'll, it'll change how you view your neighbor. It'll make you compassionate. It'll make you loving. It, it will put you in a position to no matter how bad the world around you is burning, you feel peace and you feel joy. It's not just about a resurrection in the future. God wants to resurrect some of you right now. Right now. But we have to come to our senses and we have to step away from sin. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Hey, listen, if you're in this room and maybe you are not a believer or maybe you're a brand new believer, but you got questions. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Carl is up here. He does our small groups. If, if, if you're new to church, this is the most vulnerable, non-judgmental church, most vulnerable, non-judgmental people you will ever be around or in this room. If you have any questions, please just don't feel embarrassed or ashamed. Come up here and ask Carl. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage if you need prayer for anything. They can pray for any prayer request you may have. Maybe you wanna confess something. Sometimes it feels good just to let someone else know. Listen, no one's gonna look down on you. Let one of these, these, these men or women pray with you, be there for you. The last thing is there is communion. There is bread and wine all the way around this room wherever you see a lamp on a table. Today, I don't want you to miss this. If you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, you can take the body and blood of Christ and it is a tangible physical reminder that Jesus just, he didn't just die and resurrect. He died and resurrected for you so you can be resurrected. So as the Bible says, we can walk in a newness of life and life more abundantly. We can have that today. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it? more than I can even explain. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you. Lord, keep, keep your hand on everyone, Lord, as we get, we get a, a nice three-day weekend, Jesus. I pray that people get to relax. I pray that they get to spend quality time with their friends, their families, Lord.
Father, I also pray this with all sincerity. God, if there is any sin in our hearts, Father, let us identify that. Let us ask for forgiveness. Let us stop sinning. Let us come to our senses. And Lord, let us not only know of your resurrection, let us live in that resurrection, God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.